This episode of I Want to Like You is sponsored by Open Account, a podcast series created by Su Chin Pak and Umqua Bank. Open Account explores through honest and sometimes comical interviews our uncomfortable silence around money. Open Account, coming soon on iTunes. Hello, and welcome to I Want to Like You, a weekly podcast from Real Simple about how to handle the irritating people in your life with goodwill and grace. I'm Kristen Van Ogtrop. I'm the editor of Real Simple. With me today are Scott McGillivray, who is the host of Income Property on HGTV and the author of How to Add Value to Your Home, and Patricia Rossi, who is a business etiquette expert and the author of Everyday Etiquette. So, Scott and Patricia, welcome to I Want to Like You. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thanks so much. This week we're talking about flaky people. Now, when I think about flaky people, one famous movie scene comes to mind, and I want to ask you, Scott and Patricia, how you, the emotions that this inspires in you, the scene, because for me, it does something really specific, or it elicits a very specific response. So it's that scene in It's a Wonderful Life when Uncle Billy has got the $8,000 that he's taking to the bank to deposit for the building and loan. And he encounters Mr. Potter. You'll remember evil Mr. Potter. He leaves the money on the, I, th- I believe, as I recall, he wraps it like in a newspaper or something. He leaves it on the counter at the bank and goes his merry way. Uncle Billy, as you'll recall, is the uncle who always has like a st- all those strings tied around his finger because he's trying to remember stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and then Mr. Potter finds the money. And then you know what happens next. Ultimately, redemption, but with a few bumps in the road along the way. So when you see that scene in that movie, what do you feel? When Uncle Billy does that, pop quiz, what do you feel? Well, I, I can relate a little bit, especially being, you know, I travel a lot and I have two children. So for a moment, I'm like, oh, I can, you know, I need a string around my finger too sometimes. So... I, I relate. Yeah. So you relate and you feel empathy. Scott, what do you feel? I kind of feel the opposite. I am I feel <laughs> frustrated. I'm like, come on. you got to be kidding me. Where's the responsibility here? I mean, it, it drives, that, okay. that sort of thing does drive me crazy. Okay. So, so Scott, you walked right into that one because I have to say, per- thank you for that. I feel exactly the same way. I'm just, I want to love Uncle Billy, and that scene makes me nuts. And it might be because I live, I have, I have three children and a husband, so I have all men that I live with. Well, all males, I should say. They're not all men yet. And there are two types of men, males, in my family. There are the flaky ones and the not flaky ones. And the flaky ones never close the cabinet doors in the, in the kitchen. They leave their shoes like in the middle of the, of the doorway as you're walking through. They leave their wallet someplace totally inconvenient half the time. Like the level of flakiness on some people that I will not mention in my household is really, really high. And I, I do think it's biological, which I guess leads me to ask you guys, do you think it's biological or do you think flaky behavior is learned? Gosh, I'm going to say it's a bit of both for sure. I mean, there's some people that are just, I mean, flaky, clumsy, forgetful, the whole nine yards. 
And mm-hmm. um, I just, you know, and it is nothing you can do. There's no amount of urgency or importance you can put on something for them to get it right. It's just the way they are. But I believe that others are learned behaviors, possibly by lack of discipline or okay. you know, repercussions. Like, you know, you make a mistake and there's no negative repercussions. Well, what's the problem in just continuing to make the mistake, right? Well, Patricia, what do you think? I think that it's biological. And, I, you know, there's, there's flaky folks in my family as well. And I see all the catching up they have to do. So I just don't know if, you know, someone would choose that because there are so many awful repercussions from that. Well, and that's what, when I look at these two unnamed members of my family who are... (laughs) That really narrows it down. (laughs) Yeah, right. Who are, I see that in them. Like they do really flaky things and they forget something or they don't pay something that needs to be paid or they leave something someplace and they get really mad at themselves, you know? So it's almost like, so it's, it's kind of, if it were learned, it would be self-defeating because they do these things time and again and they don't seem to be changing. But then if it's not learned, if, it, if you're born this way, I don't know how you combat it. You know, you go the Uncle Billy route and tie strings around your fingers, but in Uncle Billy's case, it didn't do a heck of a lot. But in, but in this day and age, like, come on, I've got a calendar on my phone. I've got 10 items listed on every day. I'm, you know, I run three different companies. I'm doing four shows. I mean, I'm all over the map. I could be super-duper flaky for sure, but I could check my calendar and I could not miss something just by being a little bit, you know, proactive and responsible. So in this day and age, is there really any excuse to being that sort of out of line? So I want to talk for a second about emotion and flakiness. So Scott, you have a successful career in real estate and you have, it sounds like it, it in many different forms, right? And when I, so my, my mother-in-law is a retired real estate agent and I would look at her daily life and, and how she dealt with people and the level of emotion and the level of, oh my God, the detail just makes you want to go crazy. So do you, how do you manage that when you're dealing with people when it comes to matters of real estate and selling and buying and these complicated transactions, do you feel like flakiness is heightened when emotion gets involved? And how do you manage people in those kinds of situations? Well, you know, I was thinking about it, and I'm a solution-oriented person, which is, again, part of my frustration. So it's like every time something flaky happens, I'm like, okay, well, let's make sure that never happens again by doing this. Let's change that. I don't mm-hmm. accept it. I don't, I don't just say, okay, you know, no problem. We'll just dodge and weave. But what comes to mind when we talk about flakiness is that as a real estate person, what I've been doing for a long time is rental properties. Mm-hmm. And one of the flakiest things is finding new tenants is always what I would consider a fairly flaky situation. What I mean by that is when I was first buying these, these income properties, I'd put postings out, I'd let people call me, and we would try to find a time that works. And then I would maybe take, you know, an hour or two off work. I'd be at the house waiting and waiting, and sometimes these people would never show up. Mm -hmm. I consider that a pretty flaky situation. 
But I started to look at it, and I realized there's a pattern. Almost half of the appointments for a viewing of a rental don't show up. So here's what I did to sort of alleviate myself from the disaster of this situation is I started posting all of my rental properties saying, if you'd like to come see the property, I will be having an open house on Saturday starting at noon. Please call for your appointment. And mm-hmm. as people would call, I'd start booking them at 12, 12, 10, 12, 20, 12, 30. I'd book them back to back super tight. Mm-hmm. And, and even knowing that it takes about 15 minutes to do a showing anyway. And what happens is, number one, you've got everybody coming at the same time. So now even if someone's flaky, it doesn't interfere with your schedule. And number right. two, it's a self-filtering system because every other appointment doesn't show up. So your appointments end up being 20 minutes apart anyway. <laughs> well, you overbook it. You overbook it purposely. Is that flaky, Scott? Or do you think that's irresponsible? Like, What's flaky and what's just, like, rude and irresponsible? It's borderline for sure. It's borderline for sure. But sometimes I'll call these people back and say, hey, you know, I was waiting. You didn't show up. And they're like, oh, I forgot. Or, oh, I booked a bunch of appointments. I forgot to write that one down. Or, you know, like random. I don't know if those are just excuses or irresponsibility. But it's, you know, there's there's a certain amount of flakiness in society in general and you just, as in it was a person who gets frustrated by it, I just basically factor it in. I factor in the fa- flakiness factor. Okay, so in a minute we're going to talk about how to border collie flaky people and other techniques. But first, a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Open Account. Money is one of the last great taboos, something we all need but rarely dare to discuss until now. Open Account a series of interviews created by Su Chin Pak and Umqua Bank explores our collective, uncomfortable silence around money. Honest, emotional, and sometimes comical, Open Account goes deep into the most rewarding, challenging, and paradoxical aspects of the number one leading stressor in America, money. Open Account, coming soon on iTunes. So I do this thing with my family, and Patricia, I want you to think about whether you think this is an effective interpersonal technique, which is what I call the border collie. And it's basically like I'm going around, and I'm nipping at the heels of all the people I live with, getting them to kind of stay in line and have all, you know, keep the, um, what my friend Michael calls the trail of debris <laughs> to a minimum and, you know, and move in one forward direction. And that's how I feel like I deal with the flaky people in my life. But do you have particular techniques that you would use either in a social situation or with your family or on the job that you think can help kind of um, prevent this sort of behavior or deal with it once it's already happened? Well, one thing dealing with my extended family, I thought about the cultural differences. My sister, one sister lives in Miami, and that side of our family is from Cuba. So when we went for the first time for a party, they said, come at 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock, and we show up at 8 o'clock, and everyone else shows up around 9 or 9.30, Mm -hmm. and it went to Mm -hmm. 2 or 3 in the morning. 
so I had to learn about their more laid back and not so time restraint. And then my other sister is married to my brother-in-law was from Iran. So they said be there at 8 o'clock at their, in North Carolina. And mm-hmm. we show up at the, you know, 10 minutes after. So, you know, in case they want to light candles or something, we'll come at the 10 minutes after. And we are late to the dance. Everybody's already there. The appetizers are out. So I think it's important, too, that you realize the cultures that you're dealing with. And mm-hmm. knowing that, then sometimes you don't, you know, you don't feel like side-eyeing everyone because you, you feel like, you know, you did the right thing and they didn't. Well, that's really specific, though, right? Don't you think, like, I mean, that's such good advice, but it's, if you're just dealing with with people within your own culture, and let's say for our purposes, it's the American culture, because that's what probably most of the people listening to this podcast are thinking about, you know, it is, do you, I mean, when you heard the story about Uncle Billy leaving the $8,000 and Mr. Potter got it, you felt empathy. I mean, do you think that this is a thing where you have to just kind of realize sometimes things in life fall through the cracks and don't be such a control freak? (laughs) Well, especially if you're running the show, you know, like you were saying, nipping at the heels, you have Mm -hmm. to. Everybody's got to get where they're going, smelling halfway good and put together. Mm -hmm. So you have to, but if you know the deficiencies, especially of young people that you're teaching, you can, that's why we had the calendar by the door. You make it at night, you check, you check, and then they're left the basketball bag, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, for the practice today. So I think we can do the best we can to shore up everything, but the consequences are going to be felt for that. So maybe check one more time, check it right before you leave, you know. And can we talk about the world of business for a minute? And Scott, jump in here if if you'd like. Um, you know, if you, I mean, we all work with people. I mean, Scott, you just gave a good example of renters who don't show up for the appointment. Or, we all have people in our in our working lives who show up late for meetings or don't get things in on time or never see your emails or, you know, people who are just... Um, either unresponsive or can't seem to get with a program. When you're in that kind of a situation, and this is very broad, right, because obviously there are many different variables in any kind of working environment having to do with hierarchy and workplace culture, et cetera. But do you, how effective is it to kind of address this kind of thing head on, or do you just have to kind of look the other way, do you think? Well, I think in business it's important to recognize what you might call flakiness or, mm-hmm. you know, lack of engagement, whatever it might be from customers or clients. In our business, we use a tremendous amount of measurables so we can be as accurate as possible with these statistics and then we can plan appropriately for them. And I'll give you an example. We do a lot of live events, right? We'll do these huge events with a thousand people. And sometimes it'll be a free event that you have to register for or you'll sell tickets. But we have consistent show rates, for instance. Mm. And we know that people are flakier. I'll give you a nice statistic. People are flakier in the afternoon than they are in the morning. So if we do an event at 10 a.m., we know that the show rate for a free event is about 50%. So show rate meaning like show up. How many people who registered versus who show up to the event? 
So Got we have a thousand okay. seats, and we've paid for a venue for a thousand seats, and we've bought a thousand meals. We've got coffee for a thousand people, and we've mm-hmm. spent fifty thousand dollars doing this. We will register two thousand people for that event to make sure that we meet our thousand people show rate. That's at ten o'clock in the morning. Now, when we do an event at two o'clock in the afternoon, the show rate drops to about thirty-eight percent. Oh my Your gosh. show rate drops by twelve percent in the afternoon. Because people, I guess, just get lazier in the afternoon or flakier. Yeah. Or, they got or their days get out of control, whatever. yeah. So we'll book, you know, 2,400 people or 2,300 people expecting 1,000 people to show up. So it's, an, it's a very well-calculated, measurable statistic. And that's just one of the, then, you know, from there it's like, you know, customer engagement and drop-off rates and people who disappear and people who don't pay their bills. Like, we have a measurable on everything. So mm-hmm. we know that, you know, humans are not a perfect system. We're, yeah. we're a flawed system, and you can't, <laughs> you can't, you know, no one's going to follow all the rules perfectly, and just because they say they show up doesn't mean they will. So yeah. we just get a very, very accurate number, percentage, as to what the truth will be, and we factor for it. So we overbook things, and... We have a we have a, a department that reaches out to people who forgot to call in or you know just misunderstood the instruction, and we know that each one of these things that we do will affect show rates and engagement rates and success rates. So it is it is like mega mega business. It is like a billion dollar business managing the flakiness. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love it. So it, that's my next job. I'm going to go into flakiness management and I'm yeah. going to ma- How can you get a cut of all those people not showing up? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, you get a cut of everyone who does show up. And there are yeah, ways yeah. of increasing the rates in which people show up. So if you send them a, a text message or an email or a reminder notice, like if you manage the, the ability for them to be reminded, your show rates will go up to a certain point. I mean, there's a certain point where you just, you're never going to get 100%. And eventually yeah. you're just putting in too much work to remind people. So, you know, you kind of give up at a rate where the amount of effort being put in is still worth the reward of them coming. So, Okay, wait. So I have another question. I mean, Patricia, I do have a quick question for you. But, Scott, I'm sorry. Now, like, I'm going down this rabbit hole with you and I can't get out because this is so fascinating. So, yeah. I, so what I want to know is, Text message, so when you text people to remind them yeah. versus phone versus whatever, all these things that you have measured, yeah. do you think, like, has there been study into why people respond differently to, for example, a text than a, than a, mess, than a phone call? Is it like, oh right, I, oh, right, there's that thing I totally forgot about, it, and now that I got this text, I remember? Or is it that you're making a personal connection and it makes them feel a little guilty because they've said, yes, they'll do it, and then they come? Well, there's a balance between the two. You're talking about, you know, persuasion and manipulation a little bit, which <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of, but I do, yeah. you know, I do have some of those facts as well. Like if you can get someone to commit and say to you personally, yes, I will be there, the chance of them showing up will go up significantly. But I'm yeah. talking more about reminders and right. what we call like a, I would call it like a drip sequence. So when somebody, you know, asks, to do business with you, and there's time between the moment they say we want to do business and the event, we'll continue to send them uh, reminders because what happens is, you know, if the event's two weeks away, you register for an event, and two weeks later you're like, 
what's the event I have on my calendar? I don't even remember what I signed up for. Right, right got so it. you get people forget, so you remind them. You're like, hey, it's Scott McGilvery from HGTV, and you know, don't forget on Saturday. I'm going to be telling you guys how to, you know, get the best bang for your buck when it comes to renovations. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 I wanted to know that because I'm renovating my bathroom. Patricia, quick last question. When you, in a business context, if you have a colleague who you work with who repeatedly does things like shows up late for meetings, forgets meetings, doesn't respond to emails, you know, says they're going to do things and doesn't, do you think generally – if this is kind of a peer, all right, it's not your boss and it's not your subordinate, because in that case, I think it's probably clear you probably need to address the, it with that person in some fashion. But if it's a peer, is there a way you can talk to them about it that is productive? Absolutely. Number one is trying to understand, do you have a special needs child? Is there something going on? If you have the time and energy to put into that peer, that's mm-hmm. always the best approach because, like Scott just said, we're humans, you know, <laughs> we're right. human. So that's always the approach, and it's kind of like a gentle nudge, like, hey, you know, that's the fourth time you're late, and half of my statistics were on that report, mm-hmm. you know, but you say it a lot nicer, and you try to get to the root of it. And I just, I like that sidestepping in way, especially if it is a peer and it does affect you. You're mm-hmm. definitely going to bring it up because, you know, that can make you not shine as well. So, you know, I just believe in, in bringing it up in a kind manner and find out what's going on. Maybe they have mm-hmm. a sick spouse or maybe they, they have bitten off more than they, than they can chew. And, you know, I think about myself on a social level. I'll make, you know, my girlfriends and I, we all make plans for to do something on Friday. And I talk real big on Monday and then Friday you know, I'm like, if I don't get home and get these spanks off, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm just not going to make it. I'm not going to so, be able to speak anymore. Yes. So. Well, I don't know. I, 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 I'm speechless. Now that you've introduced spanks into the conversation, I don't even know how we could talk about um, oh people goodness. anymore. No. Um, I, I think that, you know, as with so many things when it comes to etiquette, what, business or otherwise, right, starting with kindness – And with Scott's, as you mentioned, with Scott's observation that humans, we are not perfect machines, right? We have, we are beautifully imperfect. If you start with that, you're probably always going to reach a deeper level of understanding and getting along. So that's it for this week's episode of I Want to Like You. Thank you so much, Scott McGillivray and Patricia Rossi for joining me. Well, thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Our producer is Tim Einenkel. Please let us know what you think of the show. Our Twitter handle is at Real Simple, or you can tweet ideas for this podcast directly to me at KVanOgtrop. For more on irritating people and how to handle them, go to realsimple.com. And please, of course, remember to subscribe to us in iTunes. For Scott McGillivray and Patricia Rossi, I'm Kristen Van Ogtrop. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>